great to be back. It was fast. It was a fast trip. Before I refer to that, I'm thinking of the things that we're doing for refugees. My family, extended family, we sponsored a, a refugee from Eritrea. I did not know where Eritrea was until we sponsored this fellow that we met in Israel. And he's going to be coming now. It was almost three years ago. He's going to be coming in December. So we're really excited about that. Uh, but to see, to hear what the persecuted church has been through, it's, it's shocking. And so any way that we can support and invest in these people, it's always a privilege. So I was in, uh, in Manila and surrounding areas uh, this week. I have a picture to, to prove it. Uh, this is uh, Pastor Steve Murrell. He is on the, on the right. He's the president of every nation, kind of globally, international. You know, what's, what I find really encouraging, you get, to, you, know, you, 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 know, you get to meet these people who are very significant. I, he says he's now almost reached his uh, three million mile uh, air uh, travel. Three million miles of traveling. <laughs> yeah. He says they don't really give me much. They just say thank you for, you know, giving me all your money for traveling. All, but uh, he is three million miles almost. But so he travels all around the world. And uh, great influence. The church in Metro Manila is almost 100,000 people, 900 or 90,000 people. And what's most remarkable is about who he is, is he's just not impressed with himself. Never talks about himself, never talks about accomplishments, just mostly interested in you and how you're doing. It's so great to be part of a movement with such safe leaders in the midst of being visionary and all these super cool things going on. They're just regular people who love Jesus. Uh, Pastor Paulo, uh, behind me there, he leads the church, the main church in Fort Bonifacio. I think it was Anri's pastor, if Anri is here. And uh, besides Anri, the person that they most talked about was Bea. Everybody knows Bea. So if you know her, then you're... It's just... Uh, it was really, really great. Uh, they had me talk about all the awkward issues. It was mental health and LGBTQ and guilt and shame and other really fun things <laughs> to, uh, to talk about. <laughs> but it was a huge privilege. You can, I don't want to turn that off, please. Go to another slide. Yeah, I hate looking at myself that long. Uh, so what we're, um, what we're continuing on today is a series uh, called Pop Solutions. And I am really enjoying this series because there's things in our culture that we assume line up really well with Christianity, but actually they don't. And so we want to be able to pull apart things that we think kind of have Christian overtones, and, and there's often good things in it, but it's really not what the Bible teaches. What we're going to be looking at today in this regard is personal health versus following Jesus. And there are things that are in common, but there's also things that are very different about these two things, and we, so we want, to, uh, we want to investigate this. Now, people uh, sincerely invest in personal growth, and I'm sure that everybody here, you're investing in becoming a better version of you. And so uh, it's not you know, January 1st yet, so we haven't made our resolutions, but I think all of us invest lots of time and lots of money on improving ourselves. And I don't see why that would be a bad thing, uh, but it's something that I think we focus a lot on. We all want to do better financially, 
We want to have better mental health. We want to be better physically. And so this becomes, I think, a huge pursuit. In fact, for many of us here, we would see Jesus as part of our personal growth plan. So uh, we want to become better people. Wow, you're like God. That would be super helpful for me. So if you wouldn't mind helping me out, uh, I could really use some help in becoming that better version of me. And so we kind of uh, link together this idea of personal growth and following Jesus, and he's part of one of our primary resources, perhaps, even in this pursuit. Yet the Bible offers us a different kind of pursuit, and it's not personal growth. It's actually following Jesus. This is mentioned over, Jesus mentions it over 20 times in the Bible. He says, come follow me, 20 times. What we want to be able to discuss, is this better or is it a distraction for personal growth? Sometimes we think that Jesus is kind of helping us, but he says, actually, I have this whole other thing going on that it's about you following me, not just about me aiding you in your agenda, but I have another agenda, and it's about following me and trusting me and having a life in me. So what we want to look at this morning is, how does this idea of personal growth and of following Jesus, how do these, these ideas differ from one another? And so the way that we're going to contrast them is by looking at something in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that says these are the three big issues in life. And it's faith, hope, and love. And so we want to look at how a personal growth mentality looks at these issues, and then look at how following Jesus looks at these issues. So we're going to go through each one, faith, hope, and love, and contrast the two. Let's begin with faith. The difference here would be faith in his presence versus faith in my activity. I really struggled with this idea of whether I should use the word presence or not. I thought, you know, it'd be very clever if we said uh, faith in God's activity versus my activity, or faith in who he is, or what he does. Or... And I came up, I, I thought that the best contrast would be in his presence. In Exodus, we read the story about God choosing Moses to become the leader to deliver God's people out of this land of slavery, Egypt, where Nabil was from, it's all his fault, um, out, of, uh, out of the land of Egypt into this promised land. And uh, so here's what, here's what uh, Moses says to God. I would rather... Uh, Stay in slavery and bondage in Egypt than go into the promised land if your presence doesn't go with us. I'd rather choose slavery than go into a better land but not have your presence. He's, Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. That's just shocking. It, shocking. So you have an opportunity in your life. Unfortunately, Vancouver's like, you know, top three most livable cities in the world. So maybe you already made this decision. But, uh, you know, you have this opportunity to go from a horrible condition of slavery to a much better city. I know somebody's offering you the most amazing job, all expenses paid, they're going to pay all your moving expenses, it's all going to be amazing. And like, uh, yes, there's just yes. Uh, Moses is saying, I won't do that 
unless your presence would be with us because it's all that matters to me. Isn't that shocking? It's just shocking. Speaking about Jesus, Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, our activity, but because of his mercy, his kind presence that saves us and delivers us. So what personal growth focuses on is what we've done. So if you want to grow, I think the primary, the primary thing that you'll be thinking about is what you need to do. So you want to become a better person. You want to develop who you are. And so you're going to think about what you need to do. Uh, you need to get more education. You need to work harder. You need to act more kindly to the people around you because one of your uh, growth plans is to have better relationships. So you need to be a nicer person. You need to exercise more. And so, uh, so you're going to figure out a plan. Uh, you're going to go jogging more or you're going to look up what jogging is. And uh, you're going you're to participate in that. So you're going to go to the gym more. Or you're going to meditate more because you feel like you're an anxious person. You don't want to be like that. And so you're going to spend more time understanding um, how to be self-aware and, uh, and how to meditate. But whatever it is, uh, personal growth is mostly about a to-do list. You even treat your Christianity this way. You go, I'm not doing very well. I should focus on God, so I need to be uh, praying more. I should be reading my Bible more. I'm sporadic in attending church. I should get involved in one of those communities that they keep talking about. Whatever it is, you're going to now increase or improve your to-do list, and that's going to make you a better person. Following Jesus uh, isn't really thinking about that. It's focusing on not our to-do list, but it's focusing on him and who he is and what he's done, has done and will do. Uh, this is a very different way of thinking that I think can be quite far from what we're thinking about in any given day. Uh, tomorrow is your, is your day off. Uh, for some of you, you're going to get an extra day off. Congratulations. And so what are you going to be thinking about tomorrow? Well, what am I going to do? Who should I phone up? Who else has a day off? Um, I don't want to be bored. i got a day off. So uh, I should think about what I'm going to be doing. From a following Jesus perspective, it's less about our to-do list and more about whether his presence would be with us in that day. I, I don't know if you've seen these, uh, seen these commercials. I've, I've heard them on the radio. And it's this lottery where you get $1,000 a day. Isn't that excellent? I love that. That'd be just great. I should buy one of those tickets or something. Or not. But, uh, but you know, the, but I, I, love, I love how it's described. It says, uh, I can't remember the exact things, but it's like, uh, you know, you want to become a gardener. And so you, uh, you get $1,000 just for planting a garden. But then the next day, nothing sprouts up as if it would. But uh, you're discouraged that day, but it doesn't matter. You get $1,000. And then the day after that, you go forget the garden. I'm just going to go to Italy and get the grapes or whatever it was. And, uh, and then that was $1,000. Like, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You just get $1,000 a day. So let's lay aside the $1,000. But the idea is, uh, in Christianity, it doesn't matter what you're doing. The presence of Jesus is what matters. So you could be exercising or not. You could be working or resting. The, the point of life is 
I don't want to do anything unless your presence is with me. Because if your presence isn't with me, it just becomes a vain pursuit that's going to be super tiring, a huge distraction from what's really going on, and I don't want any part of it. Now, this is a shockingly different way of thinking. That what matters most in life is if God's presence would be with me. So you might be deciding whether you need to up your education. You might be deciding uh, how to make your home a better experience. Maybe you need a new set of friends. Following Jesus is all about whether he's with you in those moments, and that becomes the center of your thinking. What is particularly remarkable about this is when Jesus' presence is with us, when we're following him, these moments get injected with eternity. When you think about what to do, what do you think is possible for you to do? When Jesus, the first time he invites his disciples to say, come follow me, in Mark 1.17, he says, come follow me. And then he says, uh, he says this next statement, I'll teach you to fish for men. So up until that point in time, uh, in terms of their personal growth plan, I don't know if you had one 2,000 years ago, but we, everybody thinks like this, I think. We go, okay, what's the best day? I'm a fisherman. What's the best day? Catching a whack of fish. That's, that's what I'm hoping this day would be about. Yesterday wasn't so great. Today I'm hoping for more fish. That's what, in the realm of possibility, what this day could be about, that would be a great day. And Jesus comes along and says, uh, uh, you come follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. I'm going to teach you how to help transform lives through my presence. Simply me going with you is going to shift what your to-do list is. From just trying to make a living to actually seeing lives transformed. When God's presence is with us, every moment becomes a supernatural experience. Whether you're doing what you always do, whether you're, you're changing diapers and disciplining kids, or whether you have a really mundane job, that job takes on supernatural significance if you can manage to see God's presence in that place. Dramatically changes what you do. Uh, what you do doesn't matter nearly as much as who you do it with and who you do it for. And when you can figure out how to see the presence of God in a place, everything changes. I, I grew up in a church that wasn't what we call very charismatic. It was very Bible-based, which was outstanding, but it didn't focus much on the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then I got to be part of a church that was all about the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't super Bible, so hopefully we're combining these worlds. But, uh, but it was all about experience. And so we prayed this prayer all the time. And it was, come Holy Spirit. And then it was the idea that we would stick our fingers in a light socket. It was the equivalent of that. And if you got a buzz, that was outstanding. And then you'd say, hey, come over here, you can get a buzz if you do this. And we all got shocked, and that was the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I remember realizing just how misguided that was. Uh, come Holy Spirit had the implication that he's not here right now. And we needed to invite him. Um, I'm pretty sure he's here, 
he like rules the world and we're breathing because of him. We don't have to ask him to come here. He's already here. The problem is not if his presence is here. The problem is if we recognize his presence being with us. And this, of course, changes everything from a mundane life or a life about personal development and growth to a life about recognizing the Spirit of God and cooperating with what he is doing and where he is going. That's number one. Faith dramatically changes with these two different agendas. Let's look at hope. There's two ways that we can look at hope. In following Jesus, our hope is in his faithfulness. In personal growth, our hope is in our success. We hope to become more successful. Personal growth rates life's success on a scale. I know if you know this, but it's true for all of us. I think we have a, a mental scale in our head about any given part of our life, and we rate how we're doing. So I'm on personal growth, and so how am I doing on that growth scale? Uh, finances, how you doing? And so the way that you know how you're doing, let's do a scale of one to 10, it's not, I'm a two. But don't worry, I have a plan to become a five, and it's gonna be amazing. I was uh, reading this morning, this guy, uh, had a, had a go-nowhere job and uh, super bored, and then he discovered Bitcoin, and he made $13 million. You know, he invested all of, his, all of his savings, and now he's a rock star, and he wrote a book about it. And so he went from being a, being a two to a, well, I guess it's a 10 or something. That's a lot of money. And so you know how well you're doing by measuring yourself against others or having this own, uh, your own little scale in your head about how you're doing in the area of finances. How about in the area of exercise? How you doing? You get two? Let's hope for a four. You exercise every day. You just might be a seven, and that will be amazing. How about your feelings? How are you feeling today? Feeling like a three or a four? See how the sermon does? Might bump it up to a five, might go down to two. You don't know. <laughs> But, uh, but, but how, you know, how are your feelings today? And you say, you know what? I think I'm having a pretty good day. I think I'm up around a six, seven, maybe even an eight, depending on whether I watch a funny movie later. Uh, how are your relationships doing? And you rate your relationship. How are my friends? I have, I have a level three friend. I don't know if you are open, but, you know, I'm looking for some level six, sevens, searching, hoping, begging, um, and so we have this idea of personal growth that uh, how we're doing is based on a scale. And all of us, I think, in this room are trying to get further up the scale. Seems like a reasonable thing, doesn't it? Like who would want to stay somewhere? Being in the Philippines, I, I think about... Uh, uh, I, I, we're going through it, we're driving back yesterday, we're driving back to the airport. And so uh, we're, we're driving by these buildings that all look half built. And they're about, they're about, I would say, I'm guessing about 10 feet wide. They all seem to be three stories, and lots of them were. They had 10 roofs and kind of uh, attachments onto things that looked not quite finished, most of it. 
And uh, so I asked the, asked the guy who's driving me, one of the pastors, I says, uh, how many of the people in your church live like that? He says, well, uh, that's middle class. And that's about 65% of our church. And the other chunk is above that, and the other you know, chunk is below that. But that's middle class. And I'm looking at that, and I don't think anybody in this room, I think I know that a number of you came from that. But I don't think any of you here, I think we've all upgraded. And I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, are they happier or sadder than me? Are they more or less successful? Are they all trying to get over here or move up the ladder there? And what if what really determined our peace and our hope for the future is not whether we could move up a ladder, but whether we could recognize his faithfulness with us? What if that would be a different criteria of how we would live? In Psalm 117, verse 2, it says this, Great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Now listen to this. What if our hope was not climbing a scale, but was recognizing his faithfulness, whether at a 1 or a 10? What about whether it's more about knowing that he's faithful than how well I'm climbing the ladder? As pastor, we don't have uh, a, you know, a, a retirement savings thing. We should get on that board. That's a hint. Uh, but I'm just joking. But, uh, or not. Um, but uh, but we, don't, we don't have one of those, okay? We don't, uh, uh, we're still working on it. And so every once in a while, I get, uh, I get this rush of anxiety. I'm not getting any younger, if you haven't noticed. And uh, I should get around to that, that saving thing. I should do that. Maybe downsize Debbie. And I get this wave of anxiety. And the only thing that keeps me sane is his love endures forever. Right. And he's a faithful father, and he's never let me down. And my confidence is not in a scale of success, but in his faithfulness towards me. Now, am I somehow telling you that you shouldn't have a savings plan? Of course not. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something bigger and deeper and more profound than that. Yeah. If you're saving, why are you saving? To climb a scale or to express that you're trusting in his faithfulness? It's interesting, uh, there's a parable that Jesus tells in Luke 12, and he says that there's a rich man who really uh, had, a, had, a, had a bumper crop year and was doing really, really well. And he says, what I need to do is I need to, uh, I need to build bigger barns because I've been doing so well, uh, I am clearly moving up the scale, and I need to accommodate for that. But then it says that just as he finished building his barns, he died unexpectedly. And this is, what he, this is what Jesus says after that in Luke 24, 12, 24. He says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. 
They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So, uh, so think about those ravens who are constantly digging up my front lawn. And uh, they irritate me to no end. And uh, those uh, God is caring for all the time. And he says, consider them. Consider my faithfulness. Rest on that. Be assured in that. And if you are, uh, you'll be able to love others and, cause I, uh, and you'll be able to build my kingdom because you'll have some time left over. But if your life is about personal growth, it'll really be quite self-centered because you won't have any time or energy left over in caring about others. There's too much to do for you. But as we understand how to rest in his faithfulness, we do see when opportunities come, and praise God for those. But those aren't a replacement for his faithfulness. They're an expression of it. So we see that people who follow Jesus are more concerned with the presence of God than with their own activities. And so what they're about is following what he's doing and where he's going and how he's behaving, what he's thinking about. And their hope isn't on some scale of success. Their hope that he's faithful for eternity, in fact. And finally, love. What's the difference between these two and love? Love... uh, becomes his reality instead of my pursuit. In personal growth, truth love is always a pursuit that's on that scale, how much do I feel loved, and on my to-do list. Especially if you're young, how can I find that special someone? If you're married, how can I turn them into that special someone? (laughs) They stopped being as special as they were a little bit ago. Um, But the idea is, is that, a, that love is a pursuit and that I'm, I'm looking for a better experience of love. It's not quite what I hoped it would be and so I'm hoping and praying that I'm going to find love one day. Uh, in Christ, love is a reality, not a pursuit. I am fully loved. I am fully known and I'm accepted in that place and I am I'm cared for by the king of kings, and his affection is turned towards me. I think this is absolutely incredible. And so as a result, people who follow Jesus don't seek love, they rest in it. Do you rest in Jesus' love for you? Is that a place of calm and of rest where you can exhale and just be yourself without filters? Do you have that experience of Jesus? where he's a safe place for you and where you're fully known. Jesus says in John 15, just as the Father has loved me, which I think is quite a bit, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide, rest in my love. Relax in my love. You don't need to impress me. I'm most impressed when you're not impressing me because it means that you're resting in me. And you know that you have nothing to prove. I can see everything. I've seen everything you've ever done. In the dark, I've seen it all. Rest in my love. Know that nothing can separate you from my love. Rest there. Know it to be true. Uh, Luke 12, 32, as it continued to talk about the ravens. Um, 
It says, do not be afraid, little flock. Don't you love that? So endearing. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has, has been pleased to give you the kingdom of God. If you call yourself a Christian, you have inherited God's kingdom. Like, I mean, you know, the gold streets, the gates, pearly gates, it's all yours. Gave it to y'all. Held nothing back from you. There's a quote by a 15th century theologian that might be a little disturbing for you to read. So I put it up there and you can meditate on it. I believe it's good theology, but maybe you've not read something this way before. There it is. If, uh, if God stopped thinking of me, he would cease to exist. What a fascinating thought. Now, there's some problems with that, I get it. But think about that for a minute. What is this saying? So who is he? He is a God of, of limitless love. It's who he is. When I was uh, doing my, my, my master's degree, I got to read a lot of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he says that if you were to summarize the life of Christ and the ministry of Christ, it would be summarized in a Latin phrase, pro me. Everything that Christ does is for us. He, he knows that, you know, that numbers of hair on our head. He, uh, his affection is always towards us. And so he's so full of love. He's so full of affection and kindness towards us. It's who he is that if he was to stop thinking about us, it would be as though he stopped existing because it is very nature. His very nature is love. It's not like he's super into himself and then every once in a while remembers, oh yeah, I remember that old, like you. <laughs> I remembered you again. I forgot, I'm sorry, I just, you know, blanked out. Uh, oh yeah, Vancouver, that's right, that's right. Oh, so-and-so, oh yeah, I remember him. Forgot about him for a minute. It's never true about God. His face is always turned towards you. His affection is always towards you. And you're in the center of his thoughts. Because to think about you is to be who he is. You've captured his heart. And he loves thinking about you. He's fallen madly in love with you. He's mesmerized. You. Isn't that incredible? You're not an afterthought. Augustine or Augustine, depending on how you say this, is our heart is restless until it rests in you. You and I can spend our whole lives finding love. You can go from one boyfriend or girlfriend to another. You can find, try to find that special job that you just know is going to fulfill you. Good luck with that. And you can think that love is just around the corner. Success is just, fulfillment is just around the corner. Or you can rest in the reality that the one who spoke the world into existence loves you and knows you and has prepared a place for you in his kingdom forever. And you can rest in that knowledge and not be so afraid of your status, 
not be so concerned about being conscientious about your to-do list. Now, I'm not talking about being lazy. That has nothing to do with this. But I am talking about living and working out of a place of rest, out of a place of quiet, not out of a place of fear and anxiety. In conclusion, personal growth, which is what I think all of this city has signed up for or is trying to ignore, but personal growth is where we trust in our activities. I've made something or not. It's where we trust in our activities. It's where we hope in our successes. I think I'm on a pretty good tra trajectory or not really. And I've got to do something about that. I've got to pick up that slope and where we make love a pursuit. That's personal growth. Following Jesus is where we trust in his presence. We just trust in his presence. He's with us. We hope in his faithfulness that that presence will never leave and that it will carry us through into eternity where we don't even have to be worried about death because he's so faithful. And it's not about a scale of success and where we rest in his love. That faithfulness, he's not being faithful to be mean or faithful to, to put up with us. He's being faithful to love us, lead us, make us whole, draw us even closer to himself, where we don't even need to say, come Holy Spirit. I feel as though uh, what would be super helpful in the Philippines, uh, you have uh, uh, most people uh, it seems as though, at least when I'm there, they all have maids or helpers. I think we should all have one of those. And here's what I think their primary job should be. They should be, during any given moment of the day, we should assign them one job, is to tap on our shoulder. And what they would say, they would tap on our shoulder and say, Jesus is here now. And then we would go off to another activity and they'd tap on our shoulder, Jesus is also here. And in an activity that we were dreading all day, they would tap us on the shoulder and say, your father is with you. He's with you here and here. He's here, here when you feel most alone, most afraid, most sinful, most successful. He's here. Turn your attention toward him. Trust in his loving faithfulness. His presence is here. Think in terms of him, not in terms of you. And find your heart free. Find your heart settled. The question that needs to be asked us today is who will you follow? Who will you follow? Will you follow your plan of personal growth or will you follow him? It's a simple question that God would invite you to consider. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much that you didn't give us simply a better to-do list. You didn't even give us a better rating scale. When you said, come follow you, it was so that we could be with you and participate in the essence of who you are, that we would never be alone again, that hope would fill our hearts, that love would define our motives. And I ask today that you would save us again by your presence and that you would give us the courage to let go of the, of the death grip that we have on our activities and our successes and our pursuits. And we would open our hands this morning 
to receive you. Amen. Um, <clears throat> I think what we're, what we're being invited into today, if I was to sum that up somehow, is a, is a deeply relational invitation. You're being invited into a relationship. Maybe that sounds obvious, but it was unpacked very well for us this morning. And usually at church, we have some ways that we can respond, and sometimes they seem a little rote and a little bit, um, yeah, day in, day out. And we have some. You can worship with us. You can take communion, and there's going to be a prayer team on the side who would love to pray for you. But no matter what way you choose to respond, I would encourage you to think it in terms of that God is inviting you into his heart. He's inviting you to know him personally, and he's inviting you into a depth of relationship that can be expressed in many ways. I don't know about you, but I turn these kinds of things into growth tracks myself all the time. Even church, turn it into an ascending scale of some kind of higher level of spirituality. And at the end of the day, if the Father just wants to know you, uh, there's a story that I've been telling ad nauseum since I heard it about two weeks ago, so I'll share it with you this morning. Uh, a youth pastor, just because it just really impacted me, and I've been dwelling on it. A youth pastor friend of mine uh, told me this story about how he got hit, like God's heart imparted to him. I just, I, we we're asking him questions, and he, and he just, he's just one of those guys that carries God's presence in his heart. I don't know if you've met people like this, where it's just like your 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 faith is so authentic and it's so personal, and it it, it just bubbles out of him, mostly in humility. That's honestly, a, humility, I think, is one of the most amazing fruits of being close with God. But anyways, he's just one of those guys. And so he was saying probably the turning point in his life of that becoming true, if there ever is such a thing. But, you know, you have those moments where you realize the love of God and its supremacy <laughs> beyond what you're doing or trying to accomplish. And he described it in this way. He said that when I, he said, when I was a teenager, or my whole life, but I only started recognizing this when I was a teenager, is my dad would read his Bible, this is Ben speaking, my dad would read his Bible at the kitchen table every morning. And, uh, and I'd always come down to get ready for school, and he'd be there most days reading his Bible. And every now and again, maybe two or three times a month, he would be just weeping, like just reading his Bible. And uh, his dad would tell him that it's just because, son, the world's just broken, and I want to see this be true and it isn't yet and yet it is and he just just weep with the father as it were and Ben described this moment as the most awkward part of his adolescence and he'd come down the stairs and he'd say well and I heard my dad crying and be like shoot I hate that I don't like it it makes me feel uncomfortable and so what he'd do is he'd come down the stairs and he'd see his dad crying and he'd scurry past down the hallway to go get his Cheerios or whatever. And he said, as, and now as, as I'm eating breakfast, I hear my dad crying over things he can't fix. <laughs> and he's just like, it bust, I didn't know what to do with it. So I shut it out. And then uh, years pass and this is just the norm. 18, 19, he's making some big decisions in his life. Bible school, no Bible school. I forget exactly what the decision was. And he's like, you know what? I am lost. <laughs> and so he decided this one morning, his dad was crying, and he just went and sat with him. He just went and sat with his dad. And of course, as you can imagine, they both just cried together for I don't know how long. And Ben describes that moment as the moment where he was given something 
that you just can't teach. The dad can't come over to him eating Cheerios being like, why don't you come weep with me, please? Nope. Years of just being vulnerable and trying to give his heart away to his son in a way that you can only do in kind of a passive, you have to come to me sort of sense. And so I think that's just me so often. And God would say, I'm trying to know you. And here's what I feel like he says. He's like, would you like all of my heart? Because some of it is uncomfortable and some of it is, some of it costs you a lot. And some of it doesn't feel like some super linear path to success. It's deeper and richer than that. It's about a relationship. And Ben would say that the biggest gift my dad ever gave me was his heart. Not his knowledge, not his tips and tricks, not his best ideas. It was his entire heart. And so when I think about what we do here on Sunday mornings, and we worship communion, prayer, I don't know. It's a, it's a smorgasbord for you to sit with your father somehow and let him give you something. And it's always good. It's always good. So I don't know. I'll pray for you and we'll sing. I know we're a little over time, but Father, uh, whatever we choose to do in this moment right now, we're trying to see you and we're trying to see your face because we want our hope to be in you. We want our trust and our faith to be in you and we want our love to be for you and what is already true. And so God, will we find you here in this place? Will we find you here because you really already are here. So give us the confidence to approach you as a real loving person, a real loving father who would want to give us a piece of his heart. And we choose to acknowledge you here today in the fullness of who you are and give us the courage to respond in whatever way that your spirit is prompting us to. In Jesus' name, amen.